going on, everybody? Welcome to the first and foremost podcast with your host, Jimmy Covington. I am the one and only Quentin Douglas. And we're back at it again with episode 15. Quentin, how you doing, bro? You know, I've been doing pretty good, Jimmy. How you doing, bro? I've been doing pretty good myself, man. I cannot complain. You know, just got a new job. Accepted a job off of this past Tuesday, so things are looking bright. Yes, sir. Congratulations. All the way up from here. Yes, sir. I, congratulations on your first article, too, in the Bronx of Press. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Appreciate that. Many more to come. So, man, but let's go ahead and get started here, Quinn. You got a lot of good topics here today. And uh, first up, Vince Carter of uh, Vince Sanity, the one they call Half Man, Half Amazing, has officially retired from the NBA after 22 seasons. Quinn, what are your thoughts on Vince Carter's career? Yeah, man. So, you know, like you said, half man, half amazing. You know, unfortunately, I think we saw more man than we did amazing from him uh, <laughs> over the course of his career. You know, I am a big Vince Carter fan, but, you know, looking back at the scope of his career, especially, you know, when you compare it to the all-time greats like the Kobe's, the MJ's, uh, even the D-Ways and the Allen Iversons, uh, you know, you just have to wonder why he couldn't quite, you know, put it together and get over the hump. Uh, going back and looking at his career, you know, you can argue that he reached his peak his third year in Toronto. I believe it was the 2000-2001 season. Uh, he averaged about 28 that year. And that was his closest chance that he ever had to get into the NBA Finals. He went to a game seven with the 76ers, who, of course, were led by AI. Uh, And, you know, he missed a shot at the end of that game. And after that, you know, he pretty much just kind of plateaued, if you say so, in his career. Uh, You know, it was very well documented. He was a well-rounded scorer. Uh, We all know about his athleticism and being arguably the greatest dunker of all time, which I believe were the biggest of his legacy lies. Uh, And one thing that was probably also underrated about Vince Carter, um, aside from his contemporaries like Kobe and, you know, other guys during that time, he was a pretty good three-point shooter, actually. Uh, And, you know, of course, his weaknesses were defense and playmaking. And, you know, you would have figured with his God-given athleticism and ability that he would have pieced it all together. But the thing that separated him the most was he didn't have that killer instinct and that it factor. Uh, and I think we kind of saw that his numbers decreased his last years in Toronto. You know, he had suffered a few injuries. Uh, and I believe, you know, coaching changes, roster turnover, things of that nature also factored into it. Uh, but I mean, his numbers went right back up when he went to New Jersey. But, you know, even with Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson, they even themselves couldn't reach the NBA Finals. Uh, And I believe his last years in New Jersey, you know, pretty much cemented like, okay, yeah, he's never going to be that guy. Uh, Because even, you know, by 06, 07, he was getting eliminated out of the playoffs by a young D-Wade and LeBron. At that point, you know, I think it was pretty much, you know, decided that Vince Carter – uh, you know, wouldn't be a champion. I think he had his last chance in Orlando uh, the year after they lost to the Lakers in the finals. He was traded there. And, you know, he believed he was the missing piece to a championship. 
but that season, which was the 09-2010 season, uh, you know, he became more of a spot-up shooter, and that's when we saw his career more so transition to a role player. And, you know, I looked up some numbers. That year in those playoffs, the Magic actually advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals against Boston. And even though they pushed them to six games, Vince Carter only averaged 14 points per game, on um, 37% from the field, and shot 21% from three-point range. And, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, he was like 33, 34 at the time. But Paul Pierce, who was drafted the same year as him, averaged 24-8 and shot 51% from the field and 45% from three. Uh, so, like I said, you know, he really was missing that it factor, and I think that really hindered his development over the course of his career. And I agree with all the points you just made. Uh, he's one of the more talented players the game has ever seen, but he underachieved. It's just that plain, plain and simple. He was the greatest dunker ever. I don't think there's much of a debate. We've seen the dunk contest. We've seen his in-game dunks, but I don't think he just had it. Whatever it is, he just didn't have it. Uh, he played 22 seasons, and they stretched across four different decades. But I, overall, I think Vince Carter was just another good player to put up some good numbers. I don't think you really remember him besides being a dunker. Uh, he was an eight-time All-Star. He made eight straight All-Star teams between 1999 and 2006. But after that, that was pretty much it for Vince after that. He was only a two-time All-NBA performer as well. And uh, if you look at his numbers with Toronto, he averaged 23 points, five rebounds, and four assists. And uh, – pretty much. And with New Jersey, he averaged 23 points, six rebounds, and five assists. So his numbers pretty much stayed the same for the most part. And he was a starter basically from his rookie year to up into 2011. But after that, he was pretty much a role player. From after his days in New Jersey, he was just a glorified role player. In the playoffs, he only averaged 18, five, and three. Uh, that's not what you expect from a guy with Vince's athleticism and, you know, his pedigree. And I think, like I said, I think he was just missing that killer instinct. I don't know what it was about Vince that, you know, he had that, you know, early in Toronto, like you said, in 2000, they uh, went to game seven with Philly in the conference finals. But other than that, and me and you weren't even, we were only two years old, so we don't even remember that. But other than that, only thing I ever remember for Vince Carter is some highlight dunks. But besides that, that's all I remember for Vince Carter. I don't remember any crucial moments of his. That's all I remember is dunks and, you know, some spectacular plays here and there. You know, you got the dunk on Alonzo Mourning. You know, you had a couple three-point shots, but that's that's about it. Uh, I think I don't think he was like you said. You mentioned he was a better shooter than most of his contemporaries at the guard position. Uh, that's a plus, uh, considering you know how much of a premium shooting is nowadays. But he just never had it, and even with those athletic tools, you would think he would have been a monster on the defensive end. But it seems like he never just committed like he should have on the end, like Kobe and D Wade and those type of guys did. You know, they have the all-defensive the all defensive team selections to show for it. And we know that they were great defenders for the position. I never saw that with Vince. So, and so it's just like I, he underwhelmed for me. And I don't even know. I wouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame, with me personally. But we both know the NBA's Hall of Fame is kind of watered down, if you want to be honest. If you want to be honest. And so I think he make it just off the fact that it's, it's a lot of good players they didn't win championships. They also got in. So, I think he would get in just off that merit. No, yeah. I think pretty much, like you said, we pretty much agree on everything. Uh, you know, looking back, he doesn't have that, you know, memorable win or moment in his career other than was that the, the 0-1 dunk contest 
which was arguably one of the greatest dunk uh, contests of all time. Uh, but other than that, I think to, co- to quote a Kobe quote that I heard the other day, I don't remember it exactly, but, you know, he said something about uh, when guys get to the NBA, they become complacent because now they're not just playing basketball for the passion and love of it, but, you know, they're now financially uh, being, you know, compensated for it. So he was like, you know, it's like taking candy from a baby. And he could see why Mike won so many championships. And I think Vince Carter is a perfect example of the type of player that Kobe was talking about in that quote. Like we said, you know, he had all the athleticism, uh, was a bona fide scorer, but, you know, he just never put in that time and dedication uh, that it took to become that truly uh, all-time great player that we see other guys as. Definitely. And, and by all accounts, he's a great guy. Uh, I follow a young lady on Twitter. Her name is Generica Owens. And she's interviewed Vince Carter. And you can tell in those interviews that he's a great guy. You know, he, I think I'm pretty sure he'll become an analyst at some point. And I'm pretty sure he'll be a good analyst. But I just don't I just don't know what he was missing. You know, in Toronto, he had it. But, you know, he wasn't able to get over the hump. You know, that one opportunity he got. But other than that, you know, he was just a, a good player that made some highlight plays, you know, some highlight dunks. That's about it. That's all I, all I really remember from Vince, to be honest with you. Yeah, man, for sure. Man. Well, let's move on to our next topic here. Uh, we're still sticking with the NBA. And so on the other day, the NBA released their schedule for the restart in Orlando. Uh, all 22 teams will be playing eight startup games before the playoffs, before a play-in tournament happens and then the actual playoffs start. So, Quinn, who are your winners and your losers from the NBA schedule release? Yeah, man. So I think there were a few winners, uh, but, you know, for the sake of this episode, I'm going to just do one. Um, And I have to go with the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, For one, you know, looking at it, they have the second easiest schedule, I believe, out of all the teams uh, returning. Um, They also, you know, before the break, Ben Simmons was struggling with a back injury. And, you know, these three months off, you know, have given him time to get back to 100%. You know, we've seen the pictures and stuff of him working out with LeBron James. Uh, And, you know, that easy schedule, one thing they struggled with was chemistry. You know, ever since Jimmy Butler left town, the chemistry in Philadelphia, you know, just hasn't really been there. Uh, But playing an easy slate of teams – that could easily be a team that goes to Orlando, you know, goes six and two, seven and one, maybe even eight and no, and could get hot going into the playoffs. Uh, and that could be very beneficial. And, you know, also it gives them a chance to, you know, experiment with rotations. You know, we've heard that now when they come back, uh, Al Horford is going to be the focal point of their second unit. Uh, so, you know, by them having a weaker schedule, all these things, you know, will definitely play into their hand. And I don't see them really being better than Milwaukee or Boston. Uh, but if they get there, they act together with the talent they have, you know, MB, Simmons, uh, Al Horford, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson. I think they could definitely, you know, make some noise in the playoffs. Uh, you know, from, from my winner, I want to say I have the Pelicans as my winner. Uh, obviously, they're three and a game, three and a half games behind the Grizzlies for the eight seed, but they have the easiest remaining schedule. The, their opponents have a 
have a record of, of combined sub 500 record uh, combined. And uh, with Zoe, Brandon Ingram, and Zion in the game, they have a they have an 18.6, a plus 18.6 per 100 possessions rating, and that's astronomical. Uh, so that they're pretty much you know that's like a juggernaut uh, one on three on the court, and obviously they didn't get to play much on the court because Zion missed most of the year. But uh, there was a report a few weeks ago that Zion was in the best shape of his life. So, you know, we'll see how that goes going forward. But I think, you know, with the combination of a uh, with an easy record, you know, Zion, uh, Zion getting healthy, I think, I think they might steal the eighth seed. And the Grizzlies have the fourth toughest remaining schedule. So I think that's going to work in their favor. I think that'll work in their favor, too. Uh, so what about your losers? Yeah, uh, I guess, you know, before I get into my losers, I do completely agree with you about the Pelicans. I think the uh, NBA definitely wants to see a Zion versus LeBron matchup. Then, you know, you'll have all the headlines, AD against the guys he was traded for. You got David Griffin, who was the GM of the Cavs when LeBron was there. Uh, so that'll definitely be an interesting series. Uh, but to get into my loser. Uh, I have the Toronto Raptors, another Eastern Conference team. Uh, they have the second toughest schedule. Uh, as it stands now, they're three games ahead of the Celtics um, in the second spot in the East. But while the Celtics have one of the easiest schedules, the Raptors have to play the Lakers, the Heat. They get a basically a game off against the Magic. Uh <laughs> They got the Celtics, the Grizzlies, who are, you know, hungry to keep their eight seed. Then they get the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Nuggets. Like, they could very easily, you know, go possibly two and six or three and five in that stretch. Uh, and, you know, the pressure's on them to not lose because that could be the difference between them playing the Magic or the Nets first round. Or first round, they could be looking at Miami, Indiana, or Philly, who none of which are easy outs, you know, compared to Magic or Nets. Uh, and, you know, you've had a lot of players from the Raptors miss time with injuries. You know, in the past, chemistry really hasn't been an issue for that team. Uh, but in a time like this, that could be something that really rears its head uh, during this stretch. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but I definitely wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics end up catching up to them and taking that two seed. I definitely wouldn't either. I actually have the Celtics coming out of the East. Uh, but for my winner, uh, I'm sticking with the Western Conference, and I have the Memphis Grizzlies as my excuse me as my loser. Uh, obviously, they control their own destiny, but they have the fourth toughest remaining schedule. And uh, among the teams they are competing against to secure the AFC. Uh, they're seven and seven against the Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, Suns, and Spurs. So it's really a toss-up when they're playing those last five seasons. When the last five seasons, it's pretty pretty much a toss-up. And some of the notable teams they play are they play the Thunder, who is a surprise team in the Western Conference considering what they gave up. They play the Celtics, the Jazz, the Raptors, and they and they play the Bucks. And so those are gonna be some tough games. They could very well lose all of those games, if we're being honest here. But one silver lining is if they lose the eighth seed, they still get a play-in game if they can remain uh, within the eighth and ninth seed. So that's kind of a plus. But my thing with, you know, with the Grizzlies is, you know, those guys were, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark missed some time before the season ended. And also, you know, Justice Winslow was hurt when they traded for him. So he didn't, he didn't get time to play on He didn't get time in the court with those guys. So I think chemistry could possibly be an issue. You know, what role is he going to play? And like I said, you know, and, 
the Grizzlies, like many young teams, you know, struggle with consistency. You know, they started off slow, then they picked up, got a little hot. And, you know, when they came out of the All-Star break, they were sluggish. They had lost, like, four straight at one point. And so, you know, they you – know, they, like I said, they struggled, like, pretty much all young teams. And so, you know, with chemistry, you know, injuries, and, you know, not knowing roles, I think that, that might, you know, go against them, go against them in their favor. Yeah, man, I, I actually completely agree with you about the Grizzlies being a loser. Uh, and I think something that might come out of this in the future, which I love to see, uh, is a rivalry be- between the Grizzlies and Pelicans. You know, of course, they're already division opponents in the same division. Uh, but a John Morant-Zion Williamson rivalry for the next few years, I think this could be a good foundation for that. You know, because it definitely seems like the NBA is really, really pushing for the Pelicans to get that AC. Definitely. I'm very anxious to see, you know, the season starts on July 30th, right? Yep, yep. That's opening night. So, you know, Lakers and Clippers will be playing at night, too. So, I'm definitely – I can't wait for July 30th to come. But, man, let's, we're still sticking on the NBA with our next topic here. Uh, one of the premier players the game has ever seen, arguably. You could, people call him the GOAT. Some do, some don't. And we're talking about LeBron James here. Quentin. What would a championship do for LeBron's legacy? I want to start off by saying you said one of the premier players. He is the premier player to ever play the game. But anyway, (laughs) uh, a championship for LeBron at this point, you know, it only strengthens his argument for GOAT. I think at this point, the guys who are on the MJ for GOAT side and LeBron for GOAT, I don't think there's really anything that could change any of those guys' minds. But, you know, considering the newer generation that's coming up and the younger fans, um, I think another championship for LeBron could definitely see a bunch of those fans uh, in the future sway towards LeBron being the GOAT. Uh, But, you know, looking at the circumstances, for one, this would be his third different team he's won a championship with. Uh, along with his 10th finals appearance, I think that would tie him with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for 10 finals appearances apiece. Uh, they only be trailing like Bill Russell, I believe. And, you know, one big knock against LeBron over his career is that he played in the Eastern Conference. Well, you know, now he's in the Wild West. And, you know, looking at his toughest possible slate that he could face in the playoffs this year on the road to a championship, I say the toughest out first round would probably be Dame and the Trailblazers, especially if Yusuf Nurkic comes back healthy. Uh, then you have Russ, Harden, and the Rockets. He could possibly face them second round. Then you have Kawhi, PG, and the Clippers in the conference finals. And then Giannis and the Bucks, who I believe um, statistically by their average uh, vic- margin of victory – it's like a top five team all time. Uh, so looking at that slate of opponents, I think it definitely make for a storybook uh, ending for a championship for LeBron. Then you have to add in, of course, Kobe's death this year, along with the fact that we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. So I think you definitely have to put this championship up there with his 2016 one, even though I probably still put that one number one just because of the magnitude. Uh, but a championship this year would definitely be 
a perfect response for LeBron with Jordan's documentary just recently coming out? Well, for me, uh, I agree with all your points, but for me, uh, a fourth championship would only cement this legacy further. Uh, I still have MJ as the GOAT, and even if he wins another ring, I'm still going to have MJ as the GOAT. But he will be the third player to win a ring with three different teams. Uh, and the other two guys are John Sally and Robert Ory, two role players. He could possibly be the first player to win finals MVP with three different teams. Uh, he's 16-time All-Stars, you know, 15-time All-In performer. Uh, I mean, it just adds to his legacy. That's all it does. And if he doesn't win another one, I don't think it takes away from his legacy either. I mean, we all know what LeBron James is. We know how great he is. Uh, you know, it only, like I said, it only adds to his legacy. Uh, it's other players that the ring would help more. Uh, but if you want to make this dope case, I mean, be the first player with three finals MVPs on three different teams. So that's that's an accomplishment in and of itself. That'll be his what that'll be his uh what tenth trip to the NBA Finals. And that's pretty much yeah, that's unprecedented. Yeah, be that's if un- he win it, he'll be four and six. Yeah, so that's that's unprecedented in and of itself. Uh, you know, the longevity and the peak that he's had is something we've never seen before. And I think that speaks to his te- – it's a testament to his work ethic and his commitment to excellence uh, day in and day out. But like I said, it would only strengthen his legacy, of course. Yes, sir. And, you know, he said after Kobe died, you know, God gave him big shoulders for a reason. So he about to go and carry the Lakers to the promised land. I'm ready to as see a, it happen. Man, as a Laker fan, I, I really hope so, to be completely honest with you. Uh, but I, like I said, I, I mean, like we, I mentioned earlier, a lot, show many shows ago. Actually, I, I had the Clippers winning uh, pre-pandemic, so I don't, I don't really know <laughs> how I'm feeling right now. After they play a game or two, I'll, I'll see. You know, I'll make my prediction again then. But you know, I, I'm just anxious to see some basketball again. I'm sure you know, the, the Lakers will be fine. I'll, they'll be in the conference finals at the very least. Yeah, for sure. They'll definitely be up there. I just don't want the Clippers to win. <laughs> I'd rather the Rockets win than the Clippers. <laughs> yeah. But let's move on to our next topic. Bro. We're still sticking with the Lakers here. So starting shooting guard for Los Angeles Lakers, Avery Bradley decided not to participate in the NBA's restarting Orlando. When who should replace Avery Bradley in the starting line? Yeah, bro. So I think it was pretty much not a surprise that, you know, he decided to sit out. Of course, after, you know, starting um, the revolt with Kyrie and the organization that they started together. And then, you know, he also said that his six-year-old son has respiratory issues. So, you know, he didn't want to put his son at risk, which is completely understandable on that end. Uh, But, you know, it's already been said that J.R. Smith is a lot to pretty much fill the open roster spot that he vacated. But I think the option to start is already on the Lakers roster. And I think that guy is the Twitter GOAT himself, Alex Caruso. You know, a lot of people will probably say somebody like Rajon Rondo. You know, playoff Rondo has been good in the past, but – at this stage in his career, he's been terrible. And, you know, he's just been taking up space on the floor pretty much. But Caruso, I believe, has the highest plus minus of any player on the Laker roster, even LeBron and AD. Uh, you know, just looking at what he brings to the table, 
Um, he's a, a added ball handler. I say he's a better ball handler than Avery Bradley. Uh, he's a good defender. Uh, you know, at 6'5", combined with his athleticism, you know, he's able to stay in front of some guys, you know, kind of contain them a little bit. And I think the thing about his game the most uh, that works so well is the fact that he complements the Lakers stars. You know, his ability to be a spot-up shooter and, you know, his off-ball cutting skills make him the perfect complement to LeBron and AD, especially given LeBron's passing ability. Uh, so I think the obvious choice to fill in for Avery Bradley is Alex Caruso. I agree with you, man. I'm, actually, I'm, I'm going with Alex Caruso as well. Uh, in 49 games on the season, Avery Bradley averaged eight points, two rebounds, and assists. Uh, shooting 44% from the field, 36% from three, and then about 24 minutes a game. So his production isn't going to be hard to replace. I think Alex Caruso is, you know, obviously more is a more athletic player at this point in his career. He has five points, two rebounds, two assists, and a steal in only 18 minutes per game. And so uh, one thing I did find interesting is that he has the best defensive rating on the Lakers of all the players that have played at least 50 games. That's something I didn't know until I was doing my research. He also has 17 more steals. Than, <laughs> he also has 17 more steals than Avery Bradley in 150 fewer, 154 fewer minutes. And with AD, LeBron, and Caruso on the floor, the Lakers have a net rating of 19.4 in 229 minutes. That's a that's a it's a great net rating. And also, LeBron and Caruso have the best two-man net rating in the league with a minimum of 300 minutes played together. They have a net rating of 20.8 together in the league. That's tremendous. So. Caruso is the perfect role player for LeBron, man. So I definitely, I definitely hope Caruso starts. And then, you know, you mentioned his athleticism. You know, he brings a lot of energy. He's gonna compete. He can shoot the rock at a decent, clip, above average clip. So you know, you just need somebody that can, you know, create some, create, create a little bit of offense. You know, hold his own defensive end and knock down shots when, you know, when they, when LeBron needs him to. That's all we really need. We don't need a superstar. But we got Bron. We got enough star power. We got Bron and AD. That's all the star power we need. We just need somebody who can shoot the ball and play a little defense and make a few plays, and that's what Caruso brings off the bench. But, you know, I like to see him playing more minutes. I think he could do a lot more damage playing more minutes. Yeah, man, this is one of those situations where I definitely hope, you know, Frank Vogel and the coaching staff doesn't get caught up in, you know, like the names of players as opposed to, like, what they actually do on the floor because it'd be a huge mistake if they chose to put in Rondo or even KCP. I start Caruso over KCP also because, you know, KCP is considered, you know, one of those 3 and D type players. Uh, but he's shown that, you know, in the games against the Clippers and, you know, other elite teams that, you know, he's honestly a bit of a liability on the defensive end because, you know, they just shoot right over the top of them. Um, so I definitely think that Caruso is the perfect fit for this starting lineup. Definitely. Definitely. Man, moving on to our last topic and make this we'll make this a quick one. So we just received a notification about an hour ago that Cam Newton has decided to sign a one year deal with the New England Patriots. Quinn, what are your thoughts? Quickly, what are your thoughts on that? Man, Super Cam is free, man. That's crazy. You know, the Patriots were one of my teams I wanted him to go to all along. You know, if he didn't go to the Chargers, of course, which they decided to go in the other direction. 
<laughs> but you know, I think this is the perfect revenge tour for him. Um, I believe it was an incentive-laden uh, contract. I don't know the details yet because they haven't been released. Uh, but I think, you know, him sliding in for Tom Brady, that's probably the most villainous role he could have asked for, you know. And, you know, they already have an elite defense. They've added some more pieces this offseason. Uh, you know, they do have a lack of perimeter weapons on the outside. But I believe, you know, Josh McDaniels is – considered one of the best play callers in the league. Uh, so I trust that he'll build and tailor offense that'll suit Cam's strengths. Definitely. I agree with all the points you just made. I'm excited to see him on the team. And uh, New England was one of the teams I also thought, you know, there was would be a good fit for him along with the Chargers. But I'm just glad he's on the team, man. I'm pretty sure – I'm sure he'll beat out Jared Stidham and whoever else they have on the roster. I think Brian Hoyer. I think they may have one other quarterback on the roster. He's going to beat those guys out. I'll just, I'm interested to see, you know, how Josh McDaniels is going to uh, scheme up, you know, depending on who the quarterback is. If we have an NFL season, hopefully we do. Uh, and I'm just – I'm ready for him to see him on the field, man, because the disrespect since he's been released has been, astro- it's been crazy. People acting like Cam's not the – like he ha- he's not their guy. Like, you know, even Panthers fan acting like he's not their guy. You know, the organization did him dirty, released him entirely too late, you know, and then the pandemic came. That didn't work in his favor either. So I'm just ready to see Cam ball up. He's always been one of my favorite players since since he was at Florida. Yeah, for sure, man. I've always been a big Cam fan, but, you know, seeing him work out to that gospel music this offseason, man, he's probably about to come back a different animal. Man, it's gonna be see, scary. Man, when I saw that, I was like, this man is working at the gospel music. This man is he really got a bench out here. He said they gave up on him. I was like, oh yeah. We're gonna see a different Cam this year. He a vegan now. He look a little bigger now. So we're gonna see. You know, hopefully we get MVP Cam. But I still think he's the best. I think he's the best quarterback in the division. Sam Darnold. Yeah, because who we got? We got Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and, and Tua. probably either Tua or whoever the Dolphins decide yeah. to start. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah he'd definitely Allen. be the best quarterback. Josh Allen trash. <laughs> Man, anything else you want to add, Queen? Man, I think that's pretty much all I got for this one, man. Good show. Good show, man. I do want to add, you know, Black Lives Matter always, forever. They always have it from here on out. Yes, always sir. Black, Black Lives Matter. But man, we want to thank y'all for tuning in. The movement in. hasn't stopped. Never. But we want to thank y'all for tuning in and continuing to rock with us, man. Please follow us on our social media. Facebook is called First and Foremost. Uh, Twitter is First underscore Foremost 8. And Instagram is first underscore and underscore force foremost underscore. So, you know, hit us up. Well, you, you're pretty sure y'all follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Hit us up. Y'all got any questions, concerns, you know, any criticisms, any topic suggestions, just hit us up. We're willing to talk to y'all. Uh, so, like I said, again, I want to thank y'all for tuning in to episode 15. And uh, I'm Jimmy Covington. And I am the one and only Quentin Douglas. And we out. Peace.